Okay, we're in Haggai chapter 2, and this morning we're starting at verse 5. Haggai chapter 2, starting with verse 5, and let's, uh, let's start with prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for how your word can encourage us. We thank you for this message from Haggai that you sent to your people to encourage them. And we pray that as we go through this, that we can also see that encouragement and, and see how you are uh, fulfilling your plans and you're, you're uh, the one who uh, makes makes your purposes happen even when human beings are unable to do so. And, and we find that an encouragement, Lord. We just pray you'll bless our time now as we study your word. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, to get our context, we're going to read the first nine verses of Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak now to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, saying, Who of you is left who saw this house in, in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now, but now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you. Uh, when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you, do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea also and the dry land. I will shake <coughs> all the nations so that the treasure of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I shall give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So last time we did begin uh, uh, this chapter. <clears throat> chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 2 is the, the second prophecy that God sent through Haggai. Uh, if you remember, the, the first prophecy came because the Jews had not done any work on the temple for 15 years, and its main purpose was to kind of kickstart them, to get them back rebuilding the temple. And so about three and a half weeks after the first message, they did start building the temple. And now we're another almost four weeks later that God sends this second message because uh, the Jews were facing some discouragement uh, we saw from uh, Ezra chapter 5 that as soon as they did start rebuilding the temple, again, the opposition from the surrounding nations popped up, so they were facing some opposition. The second message also came on the last day of the Feast of uh, Booths, which is the Fall Harvest Festival. And a lot of the first chapter, remember, we saw that their harvests were rather meager because God was not blessing them while they ignored his temple. So they were having this celebration 
that's supposed to be for God's bountiful blessings, and they had a meager harvest. So that was disappointing and discouraging. And we also saw in verse 3 that many of those older Jews who had seen Solomon's temple before it was destroyed are looking at what they're building now and they're saying, this is nothing compared to what Solomon's temple was like. And so they were also discouraged from that. So God does send them this second message to encourage them for all these reasons. Um, And one of the things we see at the end end of verse 4, he says, for I am with you. And that's a repeat of a message from the first uh, prophecy. God says, I am with you. And something else that we we didn't mention last time, but then verse 4, it says, says the Lord of hosts. (coughs) So God calls himself the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. And you'll see that. All through the end of verse 9, the Lord of hosts, he calls himself the Lord of armies. And this refers to the armies in heaven. Um, And so when God says, I am with you, it's not just God himself, but God and all his armies are with them. And so that really emphasizes God's power uh, and his support. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 46. Someone like to read verses 5 through 7. Psalm 46, verses 5 through 7. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Okay, verse 7. My version says the Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of armies is with us. And it's talking about God protecting uh, his people, protecting his nation uh, and Jerusalem against all the nations around them. And it's the God of armies is our stronghold. <clears throat> so here this morning, we're starting in verse 5. And in verse 5, he expands on this promise that I am with you. He says, as for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. So this is either called a promise or a covenant, depending on your translation. But when they came out of Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai. And that's where we have the Messianic or the uh, Mosaic law, Mosaic covenant given. So let's turn back to Exodus 29. And we'll look at what this covenant or this promise was. Exodus chapter 29. Some would like to read verses 45 and 46 for us. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Okay, so he says, I will dwell among them. I will be with you. Um, in that sense. Then let's turn to Exodus chapter 33. Someone would like to read verses 14 through 17. And this is Moses praying to God, 14 through 17. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
And he said to them, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, and I your people? Is it not your, your going with us so that we are distinct? I am your people from every other people in, on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, This is the this very thing that you have spoken with, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Okay. So Moses is praying to God, said, Go with us. If you don't go with us, then we're just like everybody else. But you are, your presence is with us. So, I find it odd that he does it after God already said, I'll go with you. Right, but it was also, you look at the context, and I think at this time uh, is when uh, the people had made the golden calf, and God had told Moses, you know, I'm going to destroy them and all these other things. And Moses says, no, no, it's for your glory. You said you would go with us. You go with us. And, and God uh, does repeat that promise. He confirms that. So when we go back to our verse 5, he says, when, you know, my spirit is abiding in your midst. So God confirms that he has kept that promise. It's been a good thousand years or so, uh, roughly, and God is still with them. Um, so this confirms that God has kept his promise. It's also a, a promise and encouragement to, through Haggai that he is still with them as he has always been and will continue to be with them. Now, Zechariah also ministered at the same time. So let's turn to Zechariah chapter 4. Um, actually, Zechariah, his first prophecy hasn't come quite yet. It will come soon. <laughs> but uh, it will be, you know, at this, during the same period of time. Zechariah chapter 4, would someone like to read verses 6 and 7? Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Okay, so here, this is a pretty well-known passage in verse 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so this is the context. Is the Jews were rebuilding a temple. They had all this opposition and discouragement. And this is God encouraging them. He's saying, my spirit is with you. Um, you and he tells Zerubbabel here, who, who's the governor, um, that he will see the top stone in, installed on the temple. The temple will be completed while Zerubbabel at least is still here as governor and still alive. So this is a promise made to Zerubbabel. And God says it's through his spirit. It does not depend on man's might or man's power but God will see it done and going back to verse 5 it ends with the phrase do not fear um, do not be afraid this is all through scripture <laughs> along with you know be strong be courageous do not fear uh, and it's because God constantly gives us situations, places us in situations 
that we can't handle. It's purposeful on his part. He keeps sticking us and putting us in these sticky situations and tells us, don't be afraid because we'd have to depend on God. This is how our faith grows. This is how God glorifies himself. Um, you know, I was thinking, we've been talking on Wednesday nights about uh, evangelism and having been in Campus Crusade for Christ in college, you know, the four spiritual laws. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Mm-hmm. I think God has a good plan for your life, but it's not comfortable or enjoyable necessarily. <laughs> Maybe it's how it should be rewritten. Uh, you know, I don't enjoy every moment of, of, of God's plan for my life. He, he's, yeah, he gets us up against... <laughs> sometimes there's pain. There's yeah, yeah, sometimes there's a lot of pain. Um, so we have to trust him. And that's, again, that's God's purpose. Let's, let's look at 2 Corinthians. Paul talks about this in a couple of passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, would someone like to read verses 9 and 10 for us? And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And 10 also, please. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution. Okay, he's talking about his own weaknesses, but distresses and difficulties. He knows they're coming. He knows they're good because that's God's purpose. Uh, that God gets glorified and that God's strength works through him and enables him to, to get over those difficulties. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter one. Someone like to read verses twenty-six through thirty-one. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what, who what is low in the world to despise the world, even things that are not, to be, are not to bring to nothing that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that is, as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Okay, so again we see God's purpose just in our selection. We all have weaknesses and, and areas where we're, we're foolish and, and just that we can't handle it. God specifically chose us for situations we can't handle. <laughs> and it's, uh, again, it's so that let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. God will see us through that. Um, you know, so, so don't feel bad about being overwhelmed or being weak or being afraid. You know, that's, 
That's God's intention to put us in those situations so that we will learn to look to him and, and he can glorify himself by taking care of those circumstances. <clears throat> so now between verses 5 and 6, back in Haggai chapter 2, we have kind of a switch because part of the encouragement and part of the uh, promise to the Jews at this point deals with something that's going to happen in the future. This is prophecy now. Um, what's, what is going to happen here in the future? So looking at verse 6, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth and the seas also and the dry land. And verse 7, And I will shake all the nations. So we have a lot of shaking going on here at some time. And it begins with, there's two temporal phrases. The first one is once more or once again. And the second one is in a little while. And then God says he'll shake everything. So the once more goes back to, again, looking at our context. Was Verse 5 was the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So, you know, once more or once again refers back to, well, he did it once before which was at Mount Sinai. So let's go back and look at Exodus chapter 19. And we'll look at the first time that he did this shaking and see what, what he's comparing it to. So Exodus chapter 19, someone likely verses 16 through 19. Through uh, 19, please. Now, Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke descended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. Okay. <clears throat> you know, whole mountain shook. This Israel remembered this. They were scared to death yeah. at what was happening here. This is God thundering and a light flashing and trumpets blaring. There were no trumpets. That was God making that, that noise. The people were not blowing trumpets. Um, and so this is that uh, first quaking, the first shaking. Let's look at Psalm 68. It's something that the Jews remembered in their history. Psalm 68, some likely verses 7 and 8. When you went out before your people, O God, when you marched through the wasteland, the earth shook, the heavens poured down rain. Before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Okay, so they remember that. Um, the shaking at the time when God gave them the covenant. Um, so, what this passage is telling us is this is going to happen again. Is God's going to come down and, and do this great shaking. Um, 
but uh, it also says once, once more. So there's going to be a second shaking, and that's only going to happen once. That's, so it's going to be this very significant, very singular quaking of the earth in the future. And it goes on to say, in a little while. So how, how long is a little while in God's eyes? So that's, you know, as we're going through this, we will look at different interpretations of this passage. <laughs> Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 29. <laughs> as we look at the different interpretations of the little while, I'll have to bring my chart up. <laughs> yeah, Isaiah chapter 29, verse 17. Okay, so here we have the same phrase. Just a little while. If you look at the whole passage, um, this deals with the millennium. That's at least 25 centuries in the future. And God says, it's a little while. In a very short time. Yeah. God, God lives outside of time. He exists outside of time. He created time. So a little while to God is, you know, again, like um, Peter says, you know, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. So this is two and a half days in the future. <laughs> so um, Now, some will, uh, some of the commentaries relate this shaking to the fact that uh, two centuries after the Haggai, was when Alexander the Great conquered Persia. And so there was a, you know, a huge uproar and change in the, in the empires. You know, and they'll try to say, well, that's this great shaking that's coming, is, is Alexander the Great. <coughs> However, uh, this verse is quoted in the New Testament. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Chapter what? Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and someone like to read verse 26. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Yes. So if this is the same shaking, <laughs> then it's still future at the time of the New Testament. So then it. That would exclude the Alexander the Great's conquering of, of Persia. Um, unless, of course, it's, you know, we have prophecies that are fulfilled more than once. You know, um, you know, the virgin shall be with child. That was a prophecy during the time of Hezekiah, and there was a woman you know, who had a child at that time, but then it also referred to the birth of Christ. So what is God going to do? Um, well, he's got, uh, says he's going to shake uh, the heavens and the earth, the sea, also in the dry land. And he'll shake all the nations. Uh, major, uh, this pretty much covers everything. We're talking about a worldwide event and not just the world, the heavens, the oceans. 
Um, and again, this is probably more than just Alexander the Great conquering Persia. You know, that doesn't quite fit this um, description. <coughs> so, um, what I think this refers to is near the end of the Great Tribulation, as we've got it uh, described in the book of Revelation, when Christ returns, you've got all this, all these things going on, um, the disasters on earth, Christ returning with his armies in heaven. Again, we have the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Uh, and so that is the event that we're describing here, is the, re the very end of the tribulation and the, and the return of Christ. Let's look at a couple passages in the New Testament. Let's look at Luke chapter 21. This is where Jesus is answering the disciples' questions about what's going to happen in the future. Um, Luke 21, and someone likely verses 10 and 11 for us. Okay, lots of great earthquakes and signs in heaven. You know, so now we're starting to see something that looks like the, the quaking that um, Haggai is describing. <clears throat> and then also in Luke 21, would someone like to read verses 25 through 27? There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity with the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Okay, and then 27. Okay. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Okay, so between those passages, we've got all the earthquakes, we've got the shaking of the seas, we've got the shaking of the heavens, we've got the shaking of the nations. And so those satisfy what Haggai is prophesying. Um, we can also look at, let's look at Revelation chapter 8. We'll look at a, just a couple passages in Revelation that describe some of the things going on there. So again, we correlate these, these events or these passages, talk about the same events. Revelation chapter 8. Um, okay, let's look at... Verses 5 through 12, why don't we read around, because that's a little longer passage. Then you want to start? Then the, oh, you want me to start? Start with, yeah, verse okay. 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels, who had the seven trumpets, prepared to sound them. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. And the second angel blew his trumpet. And something <coughs> great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. The third angel sounded as a trumpet. And the great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. 
The name of the star is Wormwood, a third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of uh, the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned to dark. A third um, of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Okay, so here we see the, you know, the, this widespread destruction in effect you know, affects the heavens, it affects the seas, it affects the land. Um, and so, the, again, this talks, you know, describes this total shaking of, of everything that we have in Haggai. Uh, one last passage, let's look at Revelation chapter 16. <laughs> Revelation chapter 16. <clears throat> Someone like to read verses 18 through 21 here. There were flashes of lightning and sounds and perils of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there has not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of wine, of his fierce wrath, and every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon the men, and then blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Okay, so here we see we have an earthquake that is greater than any that ever was, and any that would follow. So, you know, Haggai is talking about a shaking once more. So if this isn't it, then that doesn't make sense. This has to be that earthquake. Um, but we also see the great city was split, and the cities of the nations fell. So the cities of, you know, the nations are shaken here too. So that includes, we see all the physical world, the nations, uh, everybody uh, being shaken at this time. <coughs> so, again, fitting into... Here's where you need to talk about the different timelines of, of prophesy, of prophecy. Um, you know, we're premillennial. That means we believe there's a thousand-year reign of Christ, a millennium, and that Christ returns at the beginning of it. And so I made this timeline up sometime in the past. So we're talking about the, the Great Tribulation is the last half of the tri, you know, 70th week of Daniel. So this is when all this is taking place, Christ returns, and then you have the thousand-year reign of Christ. Um, so the prophecy is being given back here, we're here, and it's talking about what's happening here. So, so that's the premillennial means, here's the millennium, pre means we re, the second advent, the return of Christ is at the beginning of the millennium. So the other main views, one is amillennial, which says there's really no millennium. And the problem with that is it kind of gets, all this stuff goes away. So we kind of, we're living in the church age, and then we go into the, this is new heavens and new earth, this is eternity. So there's kind of a final judgment, and then we go into new heavens and new earth. 
but we don't have all this stuff. And that's also similar to uh, post-millennial, who, people who say there is a millennium, but Christ returns at the end of it. But who, who what um, denominations uh, look at all millennials? I don't know. This was... Um, It was actually maybe a couple, a century or two ago when they started actually coming up. This, this is a classic dispensational timeline. Yeah, Schofield made it real popular. Um, but before that, people were generally all millennial or post-millennial. Um, but again, the, the, when, when you know, those who are post-millennial says Christ is, it comes at the end of the millennium. Well, that means so far the millennium has been at least 2,000 years long. So it's not, it, neither of those views is as literal as I like to be. So, and they also get rid of all this stuff in here. And so when does all these things happen? You know, they, they have to uh, put them somewhere in their system. And um, I'm using an old software that I study with, and it's got all the free commentaries are all a couple centuries old. And so they're trying to explain how the, the shaking of the earth is, well, Christ comes to the temple and he upsets the whole religious shaking and then Rome destroys Jerusalem and that's the shaking. And again, it does, that's not big enough to fit what Haggai is describing. Yeah. And, and as I'm going through there, I'm reading paragraph after paragraph after paragraph as I'm trying to explain this. And, the, and um, you know, the longer the explanation, I think more unlikely <laughs> is the fact that it actually fits Scripture very well. <laughs> so um, the danger here is I'm trying to describe what other people believe. And that's, that's always a hazard. Uh, so um, they may have... Uh, good explanations that they understand better than I do. But to me, the premillennial explanation with the tribulational period gives us a place to put this great shaking. Um, <clears throat> so, the other thing that fits in is um, G Haggai is answering the question about the glory of the temple. He's saying there's a, you know, in the future, there will be a, the temple will be glorious. So if you don't have all this, you, the new heavens, new earth, and the eternal state, Revelation, uh, I wrote it down, 21, 22 says, in the new Jerusalem, there will be no temple. So it can't be here, and if all this is gone, it's kind of like, where do you put it? You know, when when will this happen? And it, it doesn't. To me, it doesn't fit very well. So, you know, the other explanation was, well, maybe it was Herod's temple. Does Herod's temple satisfy this passage of being a, the glorious temple? So that's about the only possible explanation they can have. <clears throat> okay, going on, looking at the rest of verse 7. 
<coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> says, I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so we've talked about the shaking of the nations. Uh, we need to look at one more passage to see what happens to them. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, would someone like to read verses 24 through 27? The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress the saints, his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and a but the court will sit and its power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. How far? Uh, through 27. Oh. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. Okay, so we have this one who rises up. This is who we call the Antichrist. He says he rules for. Time, times and a half of times, that's three and a half, so that's the last half of this period. Um, and then it talks about Christ will return and conquer him and the, the other nations. And then what we see in verse 27, it says of Christ, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. So all the nations will be subjugated to Christ. They will, they will come and every knee will bow before him, whether they want to or not at that time. Um, so all the rulers, all the nations will obey Christ. <laughs> and so this uh, worship of Christ helps explain the next term we have in Haggai. Going back to verse 7, we have a phrase here that was translated differently in the King James. Maybe you've heard, the desired of the nations will come. Um, And the Jews typically looked at that as being their Messiah. He's the one that we desire. He will come. Yeah, it's in a lot of Christmas carols. Uh, the King James took <clears throat> took that meaning, and that's how they translated it. Um, more than the new translations, like my New American Standard, it says they will come with the wealth of all nations. And I think the uh, other versions are similar. NIV, I think, says the desired of the nations. Um, the English Standard Version, I said the nations will come with their treasures. And so the newer versions talk about the nations coming with treasures and with wealth um, to uh, Jerusalem. Um, and that, again, you know, trying to fit everything into the context, if the nations are coming with their wealth, then verse 8 makes sense. The silver is mine, the gold is mine. So God's talking about silver and gold in the next verse. Um, And then God says, I will fill this house with glory. So 
looking at it just from the physical standpoint, God is saying that this future house, <clears throat> this future temple will be filled with gold and silver. It will be glorified because of that. <clears throat> Has this happened? No, it hasn't happened. So it's again, it's still future, and it's not going to happen in the eternal state because there's no temple in the eternal state. So you have to have a millennium in there for this, for these things to fit in. Um, okay, so we've got something similar in Isaiah chapter 60 that backs this up. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 60, and this will be the last thing we cover this morning because of time. So again, we're looking at Christ returning after the Great Tribulation, conquering the nations. They will come and all the nations will come to Jerusalem to worship Christ and they will bring gold and silver and treasures is how we're interpreting this passage in Haggai. Okay, so let's, Isaiah chapter 60, someone like to read verses 5 through 7. Then you will look and be radiant, and your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you, to the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All haters... Yes, seven also. All Peter's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of Geboa will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar, and I will adorn my glorious temple. Okay, so this this chapter, the, the heading that's been added in, in my Bible, it says, the glory of Israel in the millennial kingdom. So that's typically, that's what this is interpreted as. So you see the nations coming with their wealth in verse 5. And we see gold and frankincense coming and, and, and all these animals for worship. If you look at it, Ezekiel, where it talks about the temple, there will be sacrifices. So they'll be bringing sacrifices. Um, and it ends, end of verse 7, I shall glorify my glorious house. That's the point that God's making in, in Haggai. I am going to glorify my house. And he's talking about all the nations bringing gold and and animals for sacrifice. And also, let's look at staying in Isaiah chapter 60. Would someone like to read verse 13? The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Okay, so again, he's talking about um, making the temple the place of his feet. Glorious, um, and here it's bringing in all this beautiful wood. You know, we we don't think of wood as being valuable relative to gold, but Jerusalem was pretty barren. They, they you know, and we we saw earlier. You know, the wood was brought in, and if you if you had a luxurious house, it had wood paneling. Yeah. So, so you know, these passages are talking about bringing in all this construction material and gold. The nations coming in with it to beautify the temple. Okay, so we're not quite done with this prophecy, but we're out of time, so uh, we need to close here. Um, Joe, we'd like to close for it. Sure.
Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you've spoken to those in the past and speaks to us today. We thank you for that. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn from history and for the way you've looked after, took care of, and watched over those your people in the past. And you're still the same God today and will take care and watch over and look after us today also. Lord, we do thank you for the word. Thank you for um, Daryl brought to us. Pray for um, Robert's message to come next in this next hour. Pray that we'll be here with worshipful attitudes and, and ready to receive what you have for us. In your prayer, we pray. Amen.